Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar, and this is going to be episode uh, 13 of The Informed Catholic, episode 13. And I'm going to do um, the readings for Tuesday of this week. All right. So let's begin with... Um, confession. Also, I want to ask if you please subscribe and share to my podcast. Uh, it would be a great help. So let's begin. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <clears throat> I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words and what I have done and what I have failed to do. Through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Christe eleison, Christe eleison, Christe eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to people of goodwill. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, Heavenly King, O God, Almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Only Begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father, have mercy on us. For you alone are the Holy One, you alone are the Lord, you alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and the glory of God the Father. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so we're going to do the readings uh, for this Tuesday. And uh, we'll uh, reflect on them. Okay, so the um, antiphon for this Tuesday. Sorry. First reading is from uh, the letter of the Hebrews, continuing from the uh, Monday, from the beginning. Okay. It was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. Instead, someone has testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor subjugating all things under his feet. In subjugating all things to him, he left nothing not subject to him. Yet at present we do not see all things subject to him, but we do see Jesus crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. He, for a little while, was made lower than the angels, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. It was fitting that he for whom and through whom all things exist in bringing many children to glory should make the leader to uh, the leader to their salvation perfect through suffering. He 
who consecrates and those who are being consecrated all have one origin. Therefore, he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. So we're continuing uh, for this week in ordinary time, the reading of the book of Hebrews. So how do we understand this? Well, here's something that's very important. God, as the catechism says, has come down and took our nature, but everything that touches God becomes holy. We know that because we've seen that when, when Jesus healed the leper, touched the leper, he didn't become unclean. The leper became clean. When the woman with the issue of the blood, right, for many years, she touched him. He didn't become unclean. She became clean. She was healed. The lady, uh, like, Mary Magdalene, when she was brought, when she ran in and she um, touched his feet and, and with her ears, she she anointed them and she dried them with her hair. And remember how the Pharisees were, were like scandalized, but she was made, she was forgiven for all her sins. It's the same thing, like, you know, anyone the, the by he's made us holy by partaking in his nature our nature became his we no longer owned it we never did but because we were under the captivity of the devil but through him our nature was made holy um because he became you know he's both god and man so we participate in his nature because he owns it now. He made it holy since he's the creator. You know, it was not, like it says here, it was not to angels that God subject the world to come, after which he, we, we are speaking. Instead, someone has testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels, us. But you crowned him with glory and honor subjugating all things unto his feet. We were originally meant, we were made not powerful like the angels, but yet God gave us his image. Man was made in the image, a likeness of God. We were made holy. We were meant to, uh, to, we were made as children of God originally, but because of our disobedience, we lost that image that spiritual uh, image that that was ours. Remember when they fell, they when they disobeyed, when they sinned, they were they 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 saw that they were naked. They lost that grace, that sanctified grace, that that grace that that was partaking of the divine nature. They lost it, and they had to hide themselves, and they made themselves skirts made of leaves to try to hide their shame because they lost. The holiness that was in them but because when the incarnation happened that image that he took from his mother she was in a state of grace she was holy she was made as the 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 the, the divine ark the tabernacle that would dwell within him with nine months 
And he took back and restored that image through the incarnation. And now we partake of that beautiful nature with him. He invites us through baptism, through confirmation, through confession, through Holy Eucharist. We partake of it. We partake of that divine nature. We're invited to share with, to share it. He wants us to share that with him. And it could only be done through the sacraments, through baptism, through, um, through confirmation, through Holy Communion, either through marriage or through the um, Holy Orders. We partake of it. Or we are called through, um, through, the, through the single life. We still partake of it through prayer, sacrifice, devotions. We're invited to it. I mean, he's subject all things. All things, heaven and earth is, is, uh, is given to him. And it doesn't matter, doesn't matter, nothing, nothing can hurt us. Even governments that rise and fall and even societies rising and falling, chaos and, 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 and confusion, nothing can hurt us. Um, and he suffered death. He won through his merits, through his sweet, bitter merits that he suffered through the passion and agony on the cross, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the beating of the soldiers, the rejection. He won, he won holiness. He won glory for us. We partake in his glory. And he suffered, he tasted death for, for all of us. You know, and like it says here, for it was fitting that he, for whom, through whom all things exist, in bringing many children to glory, should make the leader to their salvation perfect through suffering. He who consecrates and those who are being consecrated all have one origin. Therefore, he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. See, I told you there's so much beauty in Hebrews. It's so much beauty. It's fantastic. It's beautiful. All right. So now uh, we'll go to the Psalms. All right. So the Psalm is Psalm 8, which is, you're going you're gonna to notice it's quoted in the book of Hebrews. So the connection is very obvious. The response is, you have given your son rule over the works of your hands. Once more, you have given your son rule over the works of your hands. Okay. O Lord, our Lord, how glorious is your name over all the earth. What is man that you should be mindful of him or the son of man that you should care for him? Response. You have given your son rule over the works of your hands. You have made him little less than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him rule over the works of your hands, putting all things under his feet. Response. You have given your son rule over the works of your hands. All sheep and oxen, yes, and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, whatever swims the paths of the sea. You have given your son rule over the works of your hands. All right. Let's see where where it's obviously um, 
quote it, the typology they call it. O Lord, our Lord, how glorious is your name over all the earth. What is man that you should be mindful of him or the son of man that you should care for him? Here, this is the, uh, the passage here that we, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor, subjugating all things under his feet. So, this is the messianic connection. Uh, originally, the New American Bible, unfortunately, suffered from political correctness. Um, not too long ago, um, for a while, when I first converted, I couldn't stand uh, what they did. It was the earlier version. The Psalms suffered a great deal. Originally, they, they had it very inclusive. What is the what is a human person uh, and that you care for them? You made them a little less than the angel, human beings. They use the word human beings. That's because certain people wanted it to be inclusive. But they missed the point. The book of Hebrews quotes Psalm 8. Psalm 8 is a messianic psalm. You hear the term son of man. Okay. What is man that you mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? This is the book of Hebrews is talking about Jesus. Okay. Jesus himself, where the term one like the son of man is quoted in the book of Daniel. The term son of man it doesn't just mean son of humanity. It actually has a very more, a far greater important meaning to it. Jesus just doesn't go around saying the son of man. You know, just because it sounds fancy, it gives him a superhero title. No, it it's one who is human but has a divine origin. Right? A divine, one with a divine origin and also partakes in human nature. When... Daniel has the image of one like the Son of Man coming to the one sitting on the throne. And the one on the throne gives him, in front of him, all authority and power and dominion. Daniel's saying, God giving God authority and power. That's what it says. That's what it means. And it's that something that was that blew the mind of the Jewish people because they, they, they never thought they would ever hear something like that. For there's only one God. Yet, it's God acknowledging God, not God acknowledging a God. This was a mystery that the Jews discovered, and it's weird. It's something that they couldn't comprehend it. And this was during the exile. In the 70-year exile to, to Babylon, quite fantastic and yet something that became very important and then later on this image of this messianic figure kept on appearing over and over and over again in the revelations of the prophets in in constantly so some you know by the time the time of Jesus was born this was a big controversy what is the messiah you know with the Roman Empire ruling over them, the subject of a Messiah and the high priesthood becoming a became a political hot potato uh, for whoever rules the high priesthood. Well, I don't think a Messiah was a very popular 
figure. I mean, Caiaphas and Annas certainly didn't want a Messiah to to put their priesthood in danger, and certainly they didn't want a someone like Caesar to uh, hear about it. And the revolutionaries, of course, those who wanted to overthrow Rome, but also didn't like the uh, the regime that was ruling the high priesthood, they certainly uh, would love only a warrior messiah. And certainly the high priesthood and the Sanhedrin um, and the um, the Sadducees and the, and the Pharisees, everybody didn't want any political figure claiming to be a messiah. All right, so, I mean, then we have here, uh, you have made him a little less than the angels. This is talking about the human person. We are made in the image of God, but we're not given the power of angels. In a sense, the angels are almost like demigods themselves. They're immortal. They're creatures. They have power, and who knows what God allows them to do, but they are certainly supposed to be guardians, and they're supposed to be ministering spirits. Okay, you you have given him rule over the works of your hands, putting all things under his feet. Uh, that's what the human person was subject to do. A human person is supposed to be God's children directly, who share in His nature, in His in His image. All sheep and oxen, yes, under the beasts of the, the and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, whatever swims the paths of the sea. You go back to the book book of uh, Genesis, and God has given man dominion to rule. And yet, man is a steward. Man is, has, uh, creation is his. It's not meant for the, for the angels. It's meant for man. Okay, so now let's move to uh, the gospel reading. Okay. Okay, so the Alleluia Antiphon. Is from uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Alleluia, alleluia, receive the word of God, not as the word of men, but as it truly is the word of God. Alleluia, alleluia. Reading from the Holy Gospel of St. Mark, glory to you, O Lord. Jesus taught them as one being, one having authority. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. Jesus came to Capernaum with his followers, and on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. The people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. In their synagogue, in their synagogue was a man with an unclean spirit. He cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him and said, Quiet, come out of him. The unclean spirit convulsed him and with a loud voice, with a loud cry came out of him. All were amazed and asked one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. His fame spread everywhere throughout the whole region of Galilee. Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, one more time. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. Jesus came to Capernaum with his followers, and on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue, and he taught. 
the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. In their synagogue was a man with an unclean spirit. He cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him and said, Quiet, come out of him. The unclean spirit convulsed him and with a loud cry came out of him. All were amazed and asked one another, What is this? A new teaching? With authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. His fame spread everywhere, throughout the whole region of Galilee. Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. All right. So what is the Lord saying to us here? Well, Jesus came to Capernaum. That's the city of the apostles, right? They, It's a fishing town, a fishing port. Uh, and he has followers. He's been going around teaching and preaching. In the last one, we know he called Peter and Andrew and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John. He called them to be fishermen. And now in this one, they're, they're his followers. They're following, learning from him. And here, um, he enters the Sabbath. He goes to synagogue. So it's, oh, it's cool to go to church. A lot of you guys probably think that, you know, ever since the lockdown, I don't have to go to church anymore because a lot of the bishops, well, the bishops drop the ball. They fail to be men. They fail to be shepherds. They drop the ball. Yes, it's understandable in the beginning that they locked the churches and it became very, you know, we were watching mass. But here's the thing. You can't receive communion through YouTube. You can't receive communion through television. You can't receive Holy Communion through the radio. All right? Jesus wants us to receive his body and blood. You need his body and blood. You need that grace. And the bishops, even before the governors and the mayors said anything, they locked the doors. And a lot of people who were sick didn't receive last rites. That's on them. They're going to have to answer for that. All right. And then he goes on. And the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The gospel comes alive in, 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 in liturgy. And another thing is, what's important is, I really feel, I really truly believe that if Catholics actually picked up their Bible and read it, you, you know, it's not just going to Mass you should be amazed. You should be familiar with who Jesus is. You should be familiar with the Lord, with the word of God. You know, a lot of people, you know, they go to mass, they go to church on Sunday and that's it. And throughout the week between Sunday and Sunday, they never pick it up. They never pick up the word of God. They never pick up the Bible. They don't get familiar with it. You know, it's, it's really sad when Protestants love the Bible and read the Bible 
and Catholics, you know, <laughs> their Bible, if they even have one, I mean, for crying out loud, it never looks like it got touched. It still looks like it got, you know, it, you just bought it, got pulled out of the box or just bought it. Or the day that someone gave it to you in first communion. You should be familiar with it. You should be familiar with the stories. You should be familiar with the words. You should you should spend at least 15 minutes of uh, every day or even some few minutes just meditating on the Word of God. I mean, probably, I mean, it's probably right there next to your missile, which you never touch because we got paper missiles at, uh, you know, booklets, paperbacks in the churches and pews. But still, you should be familiar with the Word of God. It's, you know, it's the scriptures. I mean, never now. We live in a time where we have so many, um, you know, Bible teaching uh, material for Catholics. You can go on YouTube and, and, and there's a Bible class right there. There's apologetics classes. You can learn the word of God. You can pick it up. It's not, you know, it's nothing to be embarrassed. You're not going to be, you know, you're not going to become a Bible thumper. No one's going to tell you to, you know, go preach in the corner. You know, the catechism, the word of God, you should be familiar with it. Um, then in their synagogue, there was a man with an unclean spirit. He cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him and said, quiet, come out of him. The unclean spirit convulsed him and with a loud cry came out of him. All were amazed and asked one another, what is this? A new teaching? With authority he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. His fame spread everywhere throughout the whole region of Galilee. And another, what I think is important about all this is unfortunately a lot of Catholics don't, they don't believe. They don't believe in the supernatural. A lot of them, I think, are empty and void of it. They really, I some people really think all oh, this is just myth. It's not myth. Evil exists. And if anything, this last year, 2020, with the craziness and madness going around, with Antifa and all these young people, there is something demonic. When you have people with such deep hatred for their country, with such deep hatred for the society that they live in, and that they would actually go and destroy churches and destroy holy images and want to pull them down, you're going to tell me that, that there's nothing demonic or satanic about it? There is. And the reason why is, is because one Pope said this, all the evils in the world is on the fault is on the cause and fault of bad Catholics because Catholics who have the truth have the word of God have the sacraments don't have faith because for the last 20 30 years we've had people going around teaching people that the that Jesus Christ was not really God that the incarnation didn't happen that the virgin birth was not real and that everything that all the miracles were a lie I mean, look at what happened. A Pope brings Laozin, Amazon Synod, the, the, right? And he allows the a pagan idol of Pachimama to be placed right by the, the altar of St. Peter. 
And within a couple of weeks, we hear a rumor, a couple not too long after, about some virus, some strange virus spreading around the world. And before you know it, into the new year, everything shut down. And Pope Francis... He just probably sits back and, and uh, who knows, watches football and maybe plays with Netflix and watches a movie made about him called The Two Popes. And then he, and he, he shuts down Easter, right? No Easter, no Pentecost, no Ash, I mean, no Holy Week. And that's okay with him. Right? That's okay with him, but he can meet, he can meet, Globalists, he could meet people from George Soros and Jeffrey Sachs, and he meets with the World Economic Forum. Right? That's okay with him. All right, I'm going to go to an article I want to read and share with you guys. Hold on. All right, so I have an article here. This is by Joseph Shaw. It's from um, LifeSite News. It's from... Friday, January 8th. It's a blog. All right. Skyrocketing lesbian divorce. Rates show failure of same-sex couples imitating marriage. Marriage is not a good model for lesbian couples because they lack the natural complementary of the sexes. Let's say it's probably the same thing for, you know, not just lesbians, but gays in general. All right. Joseph Shaw here, uh, right? He's writing for LifeSite News, January 8th, 2021. I hope I didn't say 2020, 2021. It seems that women in the UK, this is a UK article, okay, who consider themselves married to other women are separating in a soaring numbers at rates higher than actual divorces, which is to say among heterosexual couples who alone can marry. One lesbian activist, Natalie Drew blames this uptick in lesbian divorces on same-sex marriage itself. Interesting. The Daily Mail reports that divorces among same-sex couples increased from 428 in 2018 to 2 to 2 from 428 in 2018 to 822 in 2019 and and uh, of the 2019 figure almost 3 quarters are lesbian couples. There were also 107,599 actual divorces that year in the UK. Wow, an increase of 20%. On the previous year, Drew ran a clinic to help women in lesbian couples conceive children. And as she told the Daily Mail, a third of the, uh, of the 586 lesbian couples she helped to have babies between 2011 and 2015 have split up. Interesting. Drew's argument is that the ceremony and terminology of marriage, as opposed to civil partnership, encourages lesbian couples to adopt a traditional specialization of roles. You get caught up in these expected roles, one being the breadwinner going out, earning the money, and one being the mother. Interesting. This may seem surprising as the legal rights and duties of marriage and civil partnership in the UK are identical, but it's an argument we've heard before. The heterosexual couples who fought in the courts for civil partnership to be extended beyond same-sex couples as do 
course they were, said they wanted a legal relationship free of the patriarchal baggage of marriage. All right. It seems to be just the word marriage that is at issue here, since it's been stripped of patriarchal associations as far as the law is concerned. The UK's Law Commission has gone even further, taking a few moments out of its busy work of proposing more censorship in order to suggest that the legal guidelines to marriage ceremonies themselves be junked so people can marry where and when they want and using whatever words they wish, as long as it it, it is, as they put it, safe and dignified. Will, will this be enough to eradicate the patriarchal baggage of the word marriage? Certainly, they were going to give it their best shot. There is another aspect to this. Natalie Drew was in the business of facilitating women in same-sex couples having a baby. What happens when a woman has a baby? Well, the baby needs to be looked after. If there are two adults around, at least one of them will have to be at home, at least for a few months, to do this looking after Preferably the mother who will be best placed, you know, to breastfeed the baby and well, anyway, need, need some time to recuperate after, after the birth. It will then make some sense if it is the other one who goes to work. If someone needs to bring home the bacon, is this not all fairly obvious? But if this is how things are, is it not the terminology of marriage? That is the problem, so much as the biology of human reproduction. Boy, they really uh, painted themselves in the corner here. I mean, it's <laughs> it's really it's really hilarious because this is not something the hetero- heterosexual couples argue about. They're 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 just. I mean, they really. It's the the reality. Of what they're of what they're fighting. They're, it's like that that thing we saw psychopathy, you know. They make up a reality. They they they're trying to twist and turn a reality that heterosexual couples just don't wrestle with. You know, it's it's within the nature. It comes with the nature. They're trying to recreate nature. They're trying to redefine nature, and all they do is paint themselves in the corner. And keep wrestling even with their made-up reality. It's really, it's really something. All right, let's continue. Biology, the femi- Okay, hold on here. The biology of human reproduction. Okay, let me just go back here. It will then make some sense. Okay, hold. On. I want to go back here. There is another aspect of this. Natalie Drew was in the business of facilitating women in same-sex couples having a baby. What happens when a woman has a baby? Well, the baby needs to be looked after. If there are two adults around, at least one of them will have to be at home, at least for a few months, to do this looking after. Preferably the mother who will be best placed, you know, to breastfeed the baby. I mean, it seems like they even wrestle with the term breastfeeding here. Okay, the breastfeed the baby and will anyway need some time to recuperate after the birth. It will then make some sense if it is the other one who goes to work. The other one. I notice how they other one. If someone needs to bring home the bacon, is this not all fairly obvious? 
But if this is how things are, it's not the terminology of marriage that is the problem, so much as the biology of human reproduction. So now they're at war with human reproduction. Biology, biology the feminist said, is not destiny, but it does have a nasty way of coming back to bite you. <laughs> okay, just when you thought you chased it away, Drew, Drew offered her clients the chance to have a baby without the involvement of man, of a man, excuse me, without the involvement of a man, at least without the involvement of a man, <laughs> they have to have very much to do with. What should, what could they not so easily banish was the masculine role, hmm. the role of the person who, ha who, who has not had the baby, who is needed for other tasks to protect and sustain the household while childbirth and child-rearing are going on. Drew does have a point. To this extent, marriage is not a good model for lesbian couples because they lack the natural complementary of the sexes. Insofar as some of same-sex couples buy into the traditional model, they are going to find themselves struggling to adapt, adapt it to quite a different psychological and biological reality. For all that, as I say, the legal treatment of, of marriage has left us little more than the word marriage. It is presumably with some view to buying into, into its traditions, its social recognition and status and its durability that lesbian couples are motivated to go through a form of marriage. Drew's argument seems to be that what they want, they are not well adapted to having. In my view, the best argument against same-sex marriage is precisely that. The institution of marriage, as traditionally understood, is de designed to help heterosexual couples raise their children. And it's not going to work well for what our political elite like to call non-traditional families. My thought has been that reimagining marriage to fit other kinds of couples would damage marriage, making it less su supportive of traditional families pushing it further and faster in the direction of non-durability. For example, Drew is making a complementary argument from the opposition of opposite, opposite direction, a relationship model based on marriage even as watered down as it is. It doesn't actually suit these other couples. <laughs> Life's I knew it. Okay. <laughs> All right. It, it, you know, if you look at the last three... Um, podcast I put out episodes by Dr. James Lindsay about the fact that the politically correct, the so-called revolutionaries are constantly at war with reality, constantly at war with, with recreating a matrix, a false reality, a fake reality, an unreality by redefining words, redefining definitions, redefining uh, history, redefining philosophy and logic. Um, it's, it's psychological and it's pathological. It's remarkable. So I think we're going to wind up seeing them running away from marriage because it doesn't work for them. It's not... The whole purpose of being gay is just going against nature it's 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 also 
When I was a kid back in the 80s, you heard the term that they were born this way. Now, a lot of them actually are going against it. It's a choice. Some, it's psychological. It's psychological. They haven't found the gay gene. No one has found the gay gene. No one has even named it the, the gay gene. It doesn't exist. It's psychological. Some of them go through some traumatic experience. Some of them, it's because they like it. They like this lifestyle. They like this form of sexual practice that they're living in. This is how they, this is how they want to see it. And it's the argument. A man lives for half a, for for twenty years as a as a heterosexual man, and all of a sudden he wants to live the life as a gay man. A woman lives for several years as a heterosexual woman. She has children. Now she wants to live her life as a gay woman. Can someone explain that? No. Where's the gene there? Okay. Someone lived half his life in in a homosexual lifestyle, and then decides to get married and live a heterosexual life. Turn, turn around, just abandon it, walk away from it. Either some kind of life-changing life event. They still want to argue about it. So it's, it's, it's something that I think the left just doesn't want to deal with it. And I think they're going to find themselves constantly at war with reality that they cannot stand. And they want to change words. They want to change definitions. They want to change. Uh, they have to uh, not just change words to fit themselves, but change how heterosexuals live and, 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 and the terminology. Now they want to come up with birth certificates that deny uh, the sexuality of the child because they need to create a world that they want. But they will constantly hit, bump into that enormous psychological wall the psychological thing that they cannot no bomb on earth can blow up you can you know you'll never be able to blow it up because it's always going to be there all right saint augustine lived a very sensual lifestyle lifestyle some of it he leaves ambiguously possibly Maybe he could have he could have lived that sexual lifestyle. We don't know, but he always says that God will always send an unsatisfied spirit to that to that individual that keeps running away from reality. I'm I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but the line is in his book, The Confessions, and he knows it, and he knows it because he constantly kept on plaguing him. And he eventually had to face the reality of it. If not, you're just gonna you're gonna be you're gonna be psychologically destroyed. It's no way you can run away from it. It doesn't matter how many ways you can change you can change the meaning of words. How many how many times you could try to pass laws and and go to courts and legislation to change the meaning of something. The one thing you cannot change is the truth. There's no bomb on earth and no legislation on earth that will change it. No matter how many judges you put on the bench, no matter how many college professors you have, the truth will always exist. The truth will always plague you and you cannot run away from it. And you will always be unsatisfied until you finally either embrace the truth or you let it destroy you. You let your passions destroy you.
There's no way you can run away from it. It's impossible. Okay, so let's let's end it with a prayer. I'll say the Our Father. I'll say it in English. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. All right, folks, um, thank you. And please subscribe and share to my podcast. It would be a great help. God bless and be well. Amen.